We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast, your first official in-season AFC East Roundup. It's week one, and we're here talking about over and under reactions. Isn't that the fun thing about the first week of the NFL season, Chris? Oh, yeah, because I'm in a pool for, you know, just straight pickups. Mm-hmm. And it's like just um, awful at week one. I'll finish the season like in the top five of like overall standings. Mm-hmm. But like week one, I'll go like, you know. Eight and eight. I went eight and eight, or something like that. <laughs> it's like I like I picked the Browns to beat the Bengals, but then you pick the Vikings to beat the Buccaneers and the Giants to beat the Cowboys because you fucking believe in Dayball. I like I went eight and eight. Obviously, I took KC to beat the to beat the Lions. Okay? Me too. Obviously, you take that. Like most people, only four people in my pool took the Lions. Of course you take Cincinnati to beat Cleveland. I took Cleveland. You see? I took Cincinnati. So, so this would be funny. Your 8-8 eight eight versus my 8-8. Eight eight. It would be funny to line them up and see how exactly we fucked this up. But it, but it's hilarious because it was picks, to your point. Tampa Bay? I go, fuck Baker Mayfield. <laughs> this guy. Uh, well, turns out you're better than the Vikings right now, or at least in this one-week vacuum. I think the problem with week one, right? I really do think that we all off-season long do the thing where, you know how we always make fun of rosy headlines mm-hmm. during training camp and how players, oh, this quarterback's really having a great year. This guy, he's he's made so much progress, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid to a certain degree, whether we realize it or not. We internalize all of this information we've taken in all off-season long, most of which is spun very positively because you're never going to hear a coach come out and go, 
eh, you know, the Giants' offensive line, you know, they're, you know, if I'm Dable, Dable never takes the podium and goes, man, my offensive line is real dog shit today. <laughs> like, I don't think they should be playing in the NFL. He's never going to say that out loud. Instead, they focus on the positives. So that's all you have. And every fan walks into week one with rose-colored glasses on, and some of us get kicked right in the, right in the teeth. And that's interesting to me. And there's always this week one overreaction that takes place. Like, I'm old enough to remember the Buffalo Bills beat the, they go to three and oh, they beat the New England Patriots. Everyone is losing their minds because it's September and the Bills are in first place in the AFCs. What could go wrong? How'd that season end, Chris? I don't know. Six and ten. Six and ten. We won three games for the rest of the season. Ryan Fitzpatrick broke his ribs against the, I believe he, it was the week we gave him a contract extension. We gave him the extension. He went into a game, I believe it was against the, at the time, still Redskins. And he, we put on a show. Yeah, we beat him. We, I think that was the only time Mike Shanahan's been shut out. We, we stomped him. But in the process, he breaks his ribs, and we go weeks without a victory. I think it was like six straight losses in a row, starting with just a throttling by the Cowboys. And everything fell apart from there. And I look at that, and I go, you have no idea where a team will be in week. All these people who go, oh, well, see, I knew that team was bad. I did, but, but, but. You don't know <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between now and week six, between now and week 12. But week one over and under reactions are my favorite. And 2023's week one was absolutely something. Just to throw a little gas on the fire, Chris, 10 teams, right? One on the road on opening week for just the third time since the AFL-NFL merger. Nice. Ten road teams. So imagine how that looks on paper and how that fits in with every fan base's perceived narrative of what their season should be. Yeah, and then you have the top three projected teams, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati all lose. Yeah. It's a wild time to be a fan of the NFL, and if you work in the hot take industry, Chris, like this is their Valhalla, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is paradise. This is manna from heaven for them. And nobody's been a hotter subject this weekend. I mean, how does Joe how does Joe Burrow not catch the heat that Josh Allen's catching right now? Like we have to start if we're going to talk about the AFC East because he went to the championship game last year. We have, so he gets a pass. We have to start with the Buffalo Bills and their uh, loss to the New York Jets this week. Chris, we've never been in the basement. Of this podcast. This is weird. I don't like it. Maybe the Steelers season, or the, where we lost the home opener to the Steelers. No, because somebody else lost, and we... I remember that looking at the standings and having to check. Like, we're All not right. in last, right? We're in last place because we lost a divisional game. <laughs> so, by default, we are at the bottom of the pile. And yet, at the same time, like, we, you know, you heard our recap podcast, obviously. And we've got, I've got some under and over reactions for the Bills, but I want to take a step back for a second and talk about some, some conference wide under and over reactions just to get the ball rolling here and kind of show you guys the kind of conversation I'm looking to have. First of all, Chris, here's an overreaction. The AFC North is overhyped. 
So, or is it? Do you think it's? Did you think I'm correct, or do you think it's an overreaction? It's I, overreaction. Uh, Burrow looked hurt, right? Offense was wholly non-existent. Now that's something they. I don't know, Chris. They wouldn't. They said wouldn't happen, right? Our offense is going to be fine. All I heard is that Joe Burrow, he's missed time last season. He missed time the season before. He knows how to navigate not having any practice time with his skill players. It'll be fine when the season rolls around. What happened? Like, Mixon looked like an old man. (laughs) Their defense gave up 100 yards to Chubb, knowing full well, like, Chubb is the offense. Like, I don't know. And then the Ravens. The Ravens might be the one team I would give a pass. They had an awful game against a terrible Houston team. Injuries. Okay, so you lose your running back. You lose your running back to a ruptured Achilles. Fine. Stanley. Stanley. That sucks. But also, Lamar Jackson got me two point four fantasy points. I lost my game by five because Lamar Jackson got two point four points as an NFL quarterback in fantasy football. That's unfortunate. I get the rust that you have to knock off when you're injured and coming back and you have a new offense and that there's a learning curve to that. But you would ex- you would have expected better, correct? Yeah. Okay. The Steelers. There's a thing I, I got to get my phone out for this because there is a tw- there's a tweet. It's one of probably one of the more embarrassing things I think a football player can say out loud. 49ers left tackle Trent Williams said that the 49ers defense was dominating the Steelers offense so bad that he was hoping the Steelers would eventually do something just so he could get a break. In quote, at one point, you just kind of wanted the Steelers to get a first down. There were those three and outs and we, we, the offensive line just, just needed to get a breath. Chris, this is the Steelers. The preseason darling team that I know a number of analysts said they were going to be a wild card team over the Buffalo Bills. They get embarrassed at home <laughs> against the NSC 2022 runner up. It's the worst loss of Mike Tomlin's career. Pickett looked lost. The offensive line was just decimated. And at one point, the 49ers had outgained them 199 yards to one. Is that an is it an overreaction? If you, if I'm choosing to look through all of this through that lens, overreaction. Then maybe the AFC North isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Overreaction. Steelers didn't show up. Okay. So what you're saying is that there exists a possibility that you could lose a game week one that you should have won, and it's or that you should have been more competitive in, and it's not the end of the world. Correct. Look at when we lost to Pittsburgh two years ago. <laughs> yeah, just like we talked about in our recap podcast. Like, that's it. That That's exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so, as we turn our attention to the Buffalo Bills, overreaction, underreaction. The Bills' offense is quote-unquote broken. Maybe. Maybe. But at the same time, if you took a rational, sober view back at the tape... You watch a lot of open players. You I don't see. have. I don't. We have access to all twenty-two. I don't. Yes, I do. 
Yeah, and whose fault is that? Well, actually, actually, you know what's funny? I didn't sign back. I didn't renew it yet. You want to know why? Because, guys, there's a there's a drunken diatribe coming here, and I'm gonna wait until I'm gonna wait until after the home game to really unleash it. Let's just say the NFL and the Buffalo Bills might be the cheapest sons of bitches I've ever met in my entire life. Chris, we will have all 22 within the next week or two, because eventually I'll snap and just pay for it. Yes, note I said pay for it as a season ticket holder. There's more to that, but I'm going to save it for the diatribe that's going to happen after I have 11 beers and decided to go in on them. There were open players available on a regular basis. A lot of times at the sticks, near the sticks, around productive areas of the field. I think that this has become a thing. I think that, I think that, that all the people saying, like, our offense, oh my God, here comes the regression. No, 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 no. What needs to happen now is you literally, like to film a clockwork orange, have to sit your quarterback down, strap him into a chair, prop his eyeballs open and put that tape in front of his stupid face over and over and over again until he understands that this nonsense cannot continue because you will continue to lose us games against very good defenses. And Chris, what do you think you're going to run into in the playoffs? Defense wins championships. Very good defenses. So with that in mind, I do not think the Bills offense is broken. I think that, I mean, fuck, Chris, they, they worked a pair of cornerbacks who did, weren't the Jets saying that they were the 85 Bears on defense? Yes. Okay, then why did Stephon Diggs just absolutely crucify both of your best cornerbacks in coverage? Well, I don't know how that's supposed to happen. No, I thought you guys were the Bears. If you had a quarterback who was less stubborn and more willing to take the layups that were given to him, we could have embarrassed them and made them eat their words. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with the offense. It's it's this. And then here's a good one that comes from our friends over at the Air Raid Hour from Cover One. A tweet that Sean McDermott should be on the hot seat. <laughs> he Sean- just signed an extension. <laughs> Sean McDermott should be on the hot seat after that game. Man... Chris, you know me. Yeah. Am I not one of the most bombastic, overreactionary people you've ever met? Yes. <laughs> Am I not one of the most emotionally volatile people that you've ever met? You are. I did throws a little cold water on some of the some of the things the coaching staff were doing for very different reasons. But to talk about Sean McDermott being on the hot seat is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Sean McDermott needs the answer for that. He's not going to. Well, I want answers from something. He's not going to give them to you. Guys, we had to fake our own press conferences because that guy wouldn't tell us a damn thing. <laughs> Guys, this is where we are. That's our guy. He just signed a giant extension. T-Pegs is in no position to fire him. And then what? what and what's he going to do? He's going to go twist uh, uh, Brandon Bean's arm to fire McDermott? None of this is happening. This is the hand you're dealt. I understand you don't like it. There is no hot seat. The temperature is not rising here in Buffalo, New York. Guys, everyone needs to take a deep breath. Sean McDermott is a good head coach. He's a good NFL head coach. There are a million places that recognize it. If he were to leave here today, Chris, if you fired him after 
If the Bills at any point this season are less than 700 in terms of record, and you were to decide, you know what? All of these internet pundits are right. This guy's a joke. Fire him. How many teams do you think would hire Sean McDermott next season? He'd get an interview with all of them. Every team that had a vacancy would interview Sean McDermott, correct? What I just said. Yeah. So, guys, let's all, as we do, take a deep breath and... Goose Fraba. Yes, the Bills are in last place in the AFC East. I don't expect it to last long. And maybe I'm the one being naive. But I have a feeling that there's rougher days ahead for some of the people here that we have yet to speak about in this podcast. And so we raise a glass to the not last place New England Patriots somehow. Ugh. <laughs> and we th- Christian Simonelli joins us here on the program as we're talking about how they lost to the Eagles 25-20. Christian, the theme of the show tonight is underreactions and overreactions because that's all week one really is. Everyone has all this pent up, oh my God, all the positive things that have been shoved down my throat all offseason. And for some people, it came true and they think that they're the best thing since sliced bread. For some people, it didn't come true. And then for some people, they found this weird middle ground. And I feel like that's kind of where the Patriots fan base has to be today, isn't it? Oh, but they couldn't have put it any better. It's exactly what it is. Uh, You know, middle ground. Moral victory Monday around here, apparently. Um, you hung with, you know, the Super Bowl runner-up and the Super Bowl favorite Philadelphia Eagles. Um, that's great. But, look, three years in the league, Mac Jones, he got to start winning some of these games. And he, the defense put him in a position, too, and, and uh, he didn't do it. So, so you're mad. So you're mad about the fact that Mac Jones couldn't do it, huh? Um. Yeah, because anytime you have a game like that, and I look, there's only 17 of these things, and when you have a winnable game like that, um, like if you get blown out, like the Giants, excuse me, the Giants got blown out, you know, for a zip, all right, you never had a shot, I get it. But a game where you're down 16 zip, all hope is lost, I'm tweeting, it's over, <laughs> with like, you know, 10 minutes to go in the second quarter. And then they stem the tide, and the defense gave them a shot. Um, and you just didn't capitalize on it. Um, your most expensive, productive, supposed to be productive wide receiver in Julius Smith-Schuster is on the sideline when, you know, the game matters. And Mac is throwing to six-round picks who can't get both feet down to stay in bounds and, you know, come away with the victory. Um, I still have hope that the offense and have a little bit of gleam, obviously, with Bill O'Brien there, that they'll be able to be way more productive than they were last year. But, yeah, I'm mad. They should have won this one. Here's what I see. Now, if we're talking about over... See, so you're in the right headspace for this conversation. Underreaction, overreaction. The Patriots' offense, right? Your quarterback had a 300-yard game. That... We, we can't overlook the fact that Mac Jones just threw for 300 yards. That is a feat in and of itself. The Patriots wide receivers are in a lot of trouble. Underreaction or overreaction? I will say it is a underreaction on 
the uh, Mac Jones performance and an overreaction on the wide receivers. Okay, so that's fair. Kendrick Bourne had probably one of the craziest games because I watched him drop footballs early on in that game. That This is the reason Bill Belichick hated your guts. It's the reason you yeah. got put in the doghouse last year. How did Kendrick Bourne overcome those early drops to a two-touchdown, 64-yard performance? Like, he led the team he, in receiving. He's re- yeah, I mean, he had 11 targets, caught six balls, um, two TDs. He, uh, him and Hunter Henry right now are really Max go-to guys. Those are his guys, uh, With especially with Jacoby Myers gone. Um, those are really his one-two right now. And you hope that a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster will become that. You hope that um, Keishon Booty and Demario Douglas also will be able to get into the fold as well. But Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry right now are his one-two. Absolutely, he's basically, you know, Tom Brady's Julian Edelman right now. To put to put it, in that. I mean, he's that guy right now in this offense. Underreaction, overreaction. The signing of Ezekiel Elliott is overrated. Oh, total, total uh, underreaction. You've got to overrate that times to the 10th degree. I mean, because he, that dude is washed. And I love Zeke in his prime, but he looked like sugar honey iced tea on Sunday night, man. He didn't look good. I'm sorry. He he, he, he had seven targets. He, sugar you know, honey he iced caught five tea. balls. I've never before he, my he averaged a, an astounding 2.8 yards per catch. So. Um and, and 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 he rushed seven times for twenty nine yards. He had like a, a about a ten. I think it was like a ten or eleven yard run. But no, <laughs> I <laughs> I'd much rather see somebody like Ty Montgomery or you know emerge than him. It's it is crazy, right? Everyone's like, oh Ezekiel Elliott, he's going to be the difference maker. He's a thing. He's a ba 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 ba. Fumbles, <laughs> fumbles early, yeah. and you're like, oh shit. All right, well, and, he'll get it and, together, and then he just doesn't. And usually when that happens in, on a Bill Belichick team, they go into the Foxborough Witness Protection Program, and they're never seen or heard from again. So curious to see what his snaps are going to be this week. Yeah, I mean, when you average three yards per carry after your longest run of the day, it's not good. Right. <laughs> right. No, Nobody right. loves you at that point. But also, Ramondre Stevenson, 25 yards rushing. What happened? Is this a, is this more of an indictment of the offensive line's kind of condition right now, or is like is this a regret? What's happening there? Uh, I don't necessarily. I I, I can't say it, it, to blame the offensive line there. Stevenson was dealing with some some sickness during the week. Um, and didn't practice all that much, and he was always going to play, but he was listed as questionable, and he looked really flat. He didn't look like he had the same pop that he usually does. Um, the offensive line, all five guys played for the first time, you know, including the summer, for the first time ever together. They all played box to all went box to and played 80, all 80 snaps on offense. And Mac Jones didn't get sacked until the fourth quarter. I mean, there was some pressure in there, but overall they held up pretty well. So I, I just think against that Eagles front, they did a great job. Um, to be honest with you, they really haven't been able to run the ball you know, I mean, I know that uh, Stevenson ran well last year, but they haven't been able to run well consistently against good defenses for a very long time. And I'm going all the way back to like when Legarrette Blount was here. Um, you know, he can bull, bull, you know, barrel through the front line and, and take on linebackers and then break away. And 
he was excellent, um, you know, especially in short yardage. But overall, I can't fault the offensive line. I got to go Stevenson for that game. Um, and hope he, hopefully he comes out and shows some burst against Miami this week. Because um, the offensive line, nobody gave that crew a shot, including nope. me. I thought they were going to get obliterated. And they held up very well against, against Philly. So we'll take it to Mac Jones, since you're talking about the game he had and the game the line helped him have. Underreaction, overreaction, Mac Jones outpassing Jalen Hurts shows that he's he's got, quote-unquote, it. Uh, overreaction, totally. Um, <laughs> Evan Lazar, who works for the Patriots, uh, he, uh, he, he watches, you know, the All-22, uh, and he said that he, quote, had three good, pa- three good passes in the game. Um, and when somebody pressed him, what do you mean? It was like there were three like pretty good uprush on passes. The rest of the passes that he completed on in the 35 um, that he made, uh, 30, 32 of them were just meh. They were okay. I think he had a half a dozen throws behind the line of scrimmage because they ran a lot of screens. So He had 54 a, passing attempts. Chris, yeah. fun fact, Josh Allen has never attempted more than 50 passes. I like it. Really? Get out of here. Is that true? Yep. Wow. Never attempted more than 50 passes. Never would have thought that. <laughs> so Mac Jones tr- almost did the thing. I got to ask you, what was it like watching this game going from demoralized to, oh, my God, we're back in it, and then having that moment with DeMario Douglas on the sideline and knowing that it all just got taken away? Uh, the one you mean uh, with Kayshawn Booty when he gets two feet down? Oh, yeah, Booty. Yeah, Booty was the one. Booty. I thought it was Douglas. Yeah, Booty was, no, Booty was the one. Um, but I think Douglas also had a play where he didn't get two feet down. But, yeah, Booty was the one. And it was, geez, right away you thought, why isn't Juju the one making that catch? Because, you know, he would have got two feet down. You definitely know if Jacoby Myers was still here, he would have got two feet down. Yep. And <laughs> right away you, you – Flashback to that, and you're like, okay, you know, we got a six round pick in here. We are high in this kid, but you're mad again, right? Of, like, you're like, we played oh, this totally amazing game. I was so elated that we were even in this position, and now I'm just mad again. This game, look, it, it started out awful, and then you got to throw the golden boy in there, Tom Brady, for halftime ceremony to get me all worked up. Did you cry? I cried like a baby, cried like a baby whenever he said, <laughs> You know, and there's one thing I'm certain, certain, certain. I'm a patriot for life, life, life. I, I was holding my kid, and I was crying, and my daughter was looking at me and was like, hey, I'm the one that said, what is wrong with daddy? My wife's just hysterical <laughs> laughing. Oh, yeah, I bawled like a bit. Um, yeah. and, and by the way, I'm in a group text, and all the guys, they all cry too, so it wasn't just all of all of you boss all of you all of you mass people all of you mass people just get together and you cry about this guy Chris when's the last time you cried about a sporting event uh not yet not yet if yeah. the bills were to hoist a lombardi that would be saber stanley cup over a bills so you wouldn't cry if the bills won the super bowl i would but i would you would have more teeters for the sabers this is what I'm working with over Simonelli. A hockey guy. Jeez, man, dude, that's yeah, a hard, that's, wow. dude, shut, shut your face. You literally cried on this podcast over Marcel Darius and his yep. sailor hat. Everyone knows hat. I'm a sensitive man. Everyone knows I'm a sensitive. 
I am a sensitive human being, Simonelli. Don't you get that vibe from me? I totally do. I, I, for one, don't think there's anything wrong being in touch with your feelings, <laughs> Oh, I'm in touch with my feelings. That, that's what I try to, in fact, that's how I table it to most people. I'm in touch with my emotions. The problem is the one I have more often than anything else is just frustration and rage. Like those Blind the, rage is probably not the one that you really want to be in touch with. But. Those are the feelings that I'm most in touch with. And it's not good. So I, it's like, listen, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to sit here and not talk to everybody? Or do you want me to really show you how I think and feel? And it'll just make all this terrible. No, yeah, no, talk, talk, especially on tw- on on X. You know, tweet away, tweet away. I told you, you're the absolute delight following a loss. It's, it's no, fantastic. yeah, you you must have loved skimming our timeline after this fucking Jets game, where I'm just like, listen. But even then, I wasn't that hyperbolic because I was like, well, this is the thing. I watched it happen with fairly sober eyes, and then as the game was winding down, I'm like, fuck it, we're just into the whiskey. We're just going right into bourbon. I can't do beer anymore. It's it's over. And everyone's like, oh, you don't know. No, no, I do know. I do know. I left the room for the tying field goal. They made it, and I was in the kitchen. I was like, I'm not even watching this because I, 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 I have the feeling, and then I felt vindicated at the end, even though it was a gut punch. You guys got the same gut punch, and yet somehow, because you didn't lose a divisional game, you're ahead of us in the standings. Now, when we think about what's coming ahead for the New England Patriots, I don't know, man, like, let, I just want to walk through it like everyone right now is very high. We're talking about underreactions, overreactions. Everyone that I've heard, seen, the Twitter machine, national media, people are walking back some of their early criticisms on the Patriots. It's one game. It's one game oh, yeah. in the same week where the Cincinnati Bengals played like dog shit and their quarter. Joe Burrow got benched. In week one, (laughs) Joe Burrow got benched. Jalen Hurts threw for less than 200, less than like three, less than 200 yards. If I, if I see that right, Jalen Hurts had, had a really shitty stat line against you guys. I think it was like 160, 170, something like that. Yeah. 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 You, Josh Allen has the game that he goes out there and just gives away in New York City. Well, not even New York City, East, East Rutherford, New Jersey. Fuck. It, it, so when I'm looking at this, everybody is now starting to say that the overreaction in my eyes is that everyone goes, well, look, the Patriots are going to be a lot better than we give them credit for. And I guess that depends on where you set the bar. But do you think that's an overreaction or an underreaction? I think it's an overreaction based on what happened Monday night with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Because I think now people look at the division and they say, okay, chalk up two wins against the Jets, even though the defense is phenomenal, then you still have to score. Um, And then they say, well, Josh Allen, you know, hasn't learned anything, uh, continues to turn the ball over. Oh, and by the way, for some very weird reason, decides to like, uh, when he's like three or four yards away from the first down marker, leap in midair against three <laughs> defenders and get absolutely like almost, it was like a WWE match I was watching and just get absolutely pile drive backwards. We'll talk about that at another time. But people just look at that and say, oh, the division quote isn't as good as we as, as everybody thought it was going to be. Like, but no one talks about Miami putting up, you know, um, pinball, uh, you know, uh, pinball game points just out of this world against the Chargers. So 
it's week one. Those are the total. That's the biggest reaction to the court. The division, you know, the division can be had. It's a massive overreaction. <laughs> I still believe that you guys have some run left. It'll be interesting to see how you make it. You guys have a game. <laughs> you guys have a game coming up here this week against the Miami Dolphins. Hopefully you can do something to knock them down a peg. At least slow them down. Show everybody that some, again, that some of the positivity around these guys is an overreaction. When that game is live, where can people follow you on social media to get your real-time reactions? Uh, at Chris with a T-A-N, on, obviously on X, Twitter. I, I call it X just because, but it's Twitter. On Twitter, at Chris with a T-A-N. Give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And uh, I promise to hopefully be at least in the ballpark as entertaining as Drew is during game time. And so we- we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Switch gears. And we're talking about the somehow, just inexplicably, Chris, not division-leading Miami Dolphins, who put on, I think, what was one of the craziest games, if you want to talk about offensive execution. I started Joe Burrow instead of Tua, and I lost. Oh, my God. Well, it's Joe Burrow. He's one of the best. Ones, but you know, yeah, but that's you, a, that's just you a bad factor, beat is what you, it is. You know, it's not that you made the wrong call; it, no, it's a bad beat. It's not a bad beat when Joe Burrow has a point or less <laughs> than a point, and Tua having had thirty fantasy points in my league, I lost by like forty-five. But I also had like Algier on the bench <laughs> and uh, somebody else. I had I left I left on the bench, but uh, you want to talk about a bad beat? I'll give you a bad beat. Okay. We had a rookie in our in our league this year, our money league, okay? And he's a friend of mine, and I invite him over for the games to my friend's house. You know, he has a pool, and, you know, we're barbecuing. We're having a good old time watching all the games. I am absolutely destroying this guy, okay? His name is Matt. I'm murdering him, okay? At the end of the 4 o'clock games, he is down nearly 80 points. 80. All he has left is the Dallas Cowboys defense and Stephon Diggs. Oh, my God. And in our league, we give credit for things like shutouts. Oh, no. We give credit for yardage totals. And the Dallas Cowboys put up the largest point total in the history of our league for a defense. 53 (laughs) points. 
And of course, Stefan Diggs got 4.1 points on the last drive of regulation to beat me by. You ready for this? And I, and by the way, I will send you a picture of the score, okay? Oh my God. When I get a chance here. He beat me by point zero six. Holy shit. That's a bad beat. Now, that is a bad beat, sir. In Gu- fact, so you could put it on the air, I will send it to you. How do you like that? <laughs> Guys, that graphic, if you're watching on y'all tube, that, that, that's, that's what we call a bad beat in fantasy football. Guys, you know the voice. You know him. You love him. Mr. L. Fartiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. We're here talking about, because week one, right? It's knee-jerk reaction week. It's probably the best one. If, you, if you're a guy who loves hot takery and loves a good knee-jerk reaction, week one's, th- this is your jam. Talking underreactions and overreactions for each of the AFC East's teams. By the way, you should have it right now in there if you want to put it on the air. Hell yeah. So now, overreaction. Let's start with one of these. The Dolphins' offense is the greatest show on turf. Overreaction mm-hmm. or underreaction? Uh, underreaction, uh, they looked like that last year. And to be honest with you, you saw 36 points. Uh, that was underperforming. They fumbled at the five-yard line because evidently our center can't snap the ball. So that's our Achilles heel on offense. Like, we're, we're great. We're actually, you know, we could score a billion points. But our center every once in a while will either snap it over the head of our quarterback or snap it to the ground. So we fumble on a bad snap at the three-yard line on our opening drive. And then Tua throws a YOLO ball into the end zone from 30 yards out that gets intercepted by J.C. Jackson. After he interferes with with Braxton Berrios, by the way, so that should have not even counted. Uh, so we left a lot of points on the on the on the field, but now nah, it's 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 an underreaction actually. Uh, the offense is designed to be this way, and I expect them to be really really good this year. Now I've got an honorary mention, right? Because if I'm because th- from my perspective, I go, okay, your offense has the potential to be really really good, as do most teams with great skill players, right? Especially the way yours is designed. The guy who runs it is the R. You saw it last year. With no tight end help, he's like, I've got these two wide receivers who are both going to be legitimate studs as long as I can get decent quarterback play. Fuck a running back. I don't need it. (laughs) I don't need it. Here's what I need. I need these two guys, and I just need enough people to draw eyeballs that I can get the spacing I want and use their speed to just absolutely cripple everybody. Tyreek Hill put on a show. The offense was what I think every Dolphins fan everywhere wanted it to be, thought it could be. And that's like, okay, cool. You guys did that thing. It will change over the course of a season, as all things do with time and injuries and the way teams try to play you differently. One of the things I saw, and I was like, underreaction, overreaction, the Dolphins' offensive tackle room is actually decent. Like Yes. I looked at that going, I know Khalil Max lost a step, but it's Joey Boson. And they're probably going to have, they're just going to feast with Teron Armstead being out. Two is still alive, so that's, that's progress. And we kind of called this one, like, well, I'm going to go ahead and just take credit for this one because we've been talking on the podcast. Last year, Kendall Lamb played against the Patriots and had a really, really good game against the Patriots going up against Matthew Judon, and you know he's a, he's, he's a problem. Mm-hmm. He's a problem no matter when you play him. And Kendall Lamb was actually really, really good last year. And he's been the starter all camp as Teron Armstead, you know he doesn't practice. Although, 
oddly enough, he practiced today and is expected to play on Sunday. We'll see how that how that goes. But Kendall Lamb, we had a lot of faith in. The guy we didn't have faith in was Austin Jackson. Mm-hmm. He did some work on his body this offseason, and that was never his problem. His athleticism, you know, that's the reason he got drafted in the first round. Like it's usually technique-related. Yeah, he, his problems are always technique-related, re- and he was really good in this game. He had one rep, and I've been talking about this, on the end around uh, uh, Eric Azukama, who seems to be a find, by the way, and we keep using as a as our own poor man's or great value Debo Samuel. On that end around, Austin Jackson seals the edge, gets out in front of that end around, and blocks Joey Boza from the eight-yard line to the one-yard line. And then Joey Boza essentially just falls down in front of Eric Azukama. Eric Azukama trips over him. And Austin Jackson's like, damn, I should have finished that block. We would have scored on this. So they were very, very good. But even better than them, our interior guards, Robert Hunt and Isaiah Wynn, were stellar in this game. Tua was clean. He was clean up the middle. And that's why you saw uh, those big passing numbers. So everything's rosy on the offensive side of the ball for a weekend. But the reason that this was probably one of the most compelling games in the entire uh, of the entire weekend is because of what was going on on the other side of the ball for the Dolphins. Here you go, you bring in Vic Fangio, and all offseason the talk is, hey, this defense, never mind the preseason, preseason we, we don't care about that because in the regular season, this offense is going to be fine. It's going to be stabilized we, defense. We're, we're going to have cornerback play. Even without Jalen Ramsey, we're going to be fine because Kidder Kohu is very good. We're going to have Xavier Howard. He's going to be very good. Our linebackers are not household names, but they're athletic enough. They can do enough things for you. David Long is an upgrade from what we had previously. All of these things, obviously, the, the what you guys are on the defensive line, you talk about Christian Wilkins, you talk about trading for a Bradley Chubb, and then having a Jalen Phillips who is kind of taking those steps, kind of the similar steps we're seeing out of Greg Rousseau in terms of the growth of a good, high-level defensive end prospect. You guys have all that going for you, and it's both of you have 30 points on the board with less than three minutes on the clock. It's like, wait a minute, what happened to all of this? Where did all of this... Def- so so I guess the thing is, is it an underreaction that Vic Fangio's defense might take a little, little time to hit its stride? Yeah, I would say so, but uh, there's more to that, really. Uh, if you remember in the preseason, I don't know if you, you read a lot of our beat guys, but there were stories written in the preseason People concerned, uh, quote-unquote concerned, about the offense because the defense was making the offense look incompetent, okay? And sure enough, week one rolls around when it's an actual real football game and it's the other way around. These light boxes that they're they're playing with, this is obviously going to take some time. Vic Fangio did a calcul- had a calculated, I guess, gamble to try to go with these light boxes. At some points, he was playing with two defensive linemen and four linebackers. And then he started putting in a third defensive lineman. He didn't use – he only used four defensive linemen on the goal line once. Here's a, here's and, a question. Do you consider this getting cute? Because I – this is me checking a fantasy football score where uh, Eckler is literally setting my team on fire. 
just burning mm-hmm. me to the ground. And I'm looking around going, where the fuck is this Vic Fangio defense? What is happening here? And it's passes out of the backfield. It's runs. It's it's backup running backs are scoring touchdowns. I'm like, what is happening? And so I message you, and you're like, oh, it was the light boxes, and it was this, and it was that. Do you believe, considering what we know about the defense and this concept that, hey, the linebackers are better than last year's, but again, not household names, the idea that you know that your secondary has the, the structure of one that should be good, but also, like, the strength of this team, if it were just me, a layperson who doesn't listen to the beat reporters, who doesn't analyze your depth chart or you know, read the training camp reports day in and day out from the Miami Dolphins, I would be convinced that the strength of that defense is either the outside corners or it's your defensive line. And it's almost like the decisions that were being made on Sunday kind of flew in the face of that a little bit. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I thought you you asked if they got a little bit too cute. I thought it was a severe overreaction to the game plan. And it was obvious that Vic Fangio from the get-go was deciding, you know what, Justin Herbert is just not going to be allowed to do anything in this game. He's not going to be allowed to push the ball down the field because we're going to play our safeties really, really deep. We're going to play with Javon Holland as a linebacker. Uh, he actually played linebacker the entire game, by the way. That's why he had 14 tackles. That, that, okay. See, that stat line makes sense then. <laughs> okay. And that's why Deshaun Elliott, I believe, had 11, which is the other safety, because he was after having to clean up a lot of the stuff that the front seven or the front six was actually giving up. So it was. I thought it was a severe overreaction to to Justin Herbert. And sure enough, you had success against Justin Herbert. But you gave up 234 yards I, on the ground. I mean, it's, and, I mean we got uh, Elf. I, I'm, this isn't this isn't an uh, you know this isn't hyperbole. This isn't me being an overreactionary. You guys gave the ball back to Justin Herbert with the ability to go down the field and kick the game-winning field goal with almost no time left on the clock. In the same game that you had a wide receiver who had over 200 yards receive it multiple touchdowns in a game where your quarterback set a week one passing record. You almost lost the game because of this gamble of Vic Fangio's. Now you won the game, you know, the defensive line. I, I said it, all the people bitching all day long about Jalen Phillips and Zach Sealer. They're, they're invisible. They're not doing it. They stepped up big. They saved the game. It took them to the final drive, but they found a way to ice it. But with that said, if you guys had lost, let's say they nickeled and dimed you, they got what they needed, and they get down there and they kick a 56-yarder to win it at the gun, how hollow would all of those offensive accolades feel knowing that Vic Fangio was that close to pissing that game away for you? Oh, it would have been extremely hollow. And I believe that Jason Sanders would not have a job today. So don't forget he missed an extra point. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And that's it. It's like you look at that and say to yourself that one extra point, Sanders, Jason Sanders had a good day. He made field goals. He was kicked. But you missed that one, and if it's the one that costs me, you get put under them, whether it's fair or not, you also catch some of the heat that's going to get passed around for this loss. And so I think the thing that I take away is somebody watching from the outside. I go, listen, I understand all the love for the Miami Dolphins right now totally deserved 
I think that the offense, I mean, you guys can't throw 460 yards every single week. <laughs> I think that most defenses just won't allow that. I also believe that the defense won't be as bad as it was. I think everything kind of not regresses to a mean per se, because I think that the Dolphins are going to be better than they were last year. I think that the idea of what the Dolphins are in the minds of most fans, the bar is probably higher than that. At the same time, you kind of hope both things regress commensurately, don't you? Like, hey, the defensive performance comes back up a little bit. Yeah, I hope they get a little bit, you know, they get back to some normalcy, start running the football a little bit more. Uh, they had some success in this game when they ran it, but they they just decided, you know, what the hell with this. And by the way, our coach is, you know, our coach is just a, he's just a genius. I don't know if you saw what Daniel Jeremiah was talking about how the the video boards at SoFi they always put the the face of the coach, mm-hmm. and Mike McDaniel was very much aware that they put his face on the screen, and he just mouthed the words, "Run the ball five straight times here." <laughs> And sure enough, we threw it, I believe, 11 straight times <laughs> in, the, in the in the fourth quarter. So on defense, he knows, what, he knows I think what's they, going on. Yeah, absolutely. And But on defense, they have to get back to something that's a little bit more normal. And Vic Fangio, I understand. By the way, he has a name. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, defen- the defensive players have nicknamed him Lord Fangio. So... You know, he has like he's kind of revered in that. So whatever he says is actually going to go because we we kind of have two head coaches. Like, that's the truth. Like Mike McDaniel is the head coach, but there's one definite boss on one side of the ball. And that's Vic Fangio on defense. I hope they get to something a little bit more normal this coming week, because uh, I will say this. He has. For whatever reason, David Long in some type of doghouse, and he's had him in there all preseason, and now game one. You saw a snap count, how low it was. He's trying to replace him with Andrew Van Ginkle. I don't think it's working. Andrew Van Ginkle is an edge player or an outside linebacker. He is not a middle linebacker. And it, it really, he, it, the you know, playing the Mike or the Phil linebacker for Andrew Van Ginkle, might as well tell him to walk on the moon. It's <laughs> not for him. Okay. <laughs> It's not something he can do. You can see it on film. He's trying to scrape to the hole, and he's doing his best. And all he's doing is that he's pretty aggressive, and he's a big guy. So he's just going to run into the pile and just blast somebody off of the pile. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I hope that they get all these little um, – I, I won't even call them quarrels. They're, they're – you know, it's – like I, I don't even know what the, the word to use. It's uh, you know stubbornness that maybe – Vic Fangio has about who can play and who can't play in his system and just start playing some of these guys as designed and maybe they'll be a little bit better. They looked absolutely lost for the most part. And then you can see, you can see when they started playing a little bit better is when things became a little bit more obvious. You have a lead (laughs) and you have to protect that lead with your pass defense. And sure enough, you start sending five rushers instead of four. And it got to it got to Justin Herbert, and they won the game. They had two sacks, a pressure on the last three plays of the game. Yep, they forced the penalty on a on a on a throwaway, <laughs> which was an obvious intentional grounding penalty. So all of a sudden, the pass rush came alive. Why? Because you knew that they were passing the ball. So you started calling your coverages by sending and sending an extra man on every rush. So 
hopefully they get to something a little bit more normal. Now, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the injury report, but the Patriots don't have a single healthy offensive lineman. <laughs> so maybe, so maybe this is a, a get right week for that defensive line. Well, but I'll yes, they absolutely what, need work for, for the basement dwelling Buffalo Bills. We can only hope from your lips to God's ears. Elf, we love you. We love that you come and do this with us every week. In, guys, it, I know right now it's a little raw. You're not going to want to go check out the, uh, the, the only fins content, the three yards per carry, but Elf, when they eventually come back around, where can they find it? Uh, you could, you could always listen to us on three yards per carry. It's the number three yards per carry anywhere you get your podcast. We're absolutely everywhere. And if you want to be a Buffalo Bill fan and troll us on OnlyFans and give me $3 and then have me ban you and then you give me $3 again, and trust me, that's happened before, uh, you could go to Discord uh, dot slash GG OnlyFans and we are there. Or you could go to the static tweet or X, whatever they want to call it these days, on the three yards per carry Twitter account and the instructions are there. And so that brings us to Chris Close in the show, yeah. From from one of the most improbable fucking things, Chris. Do you, in the history of this AFC East Roundup podcast, the Jets have never held the top spot. They've never been number one. They've been in the conversation. They've been tied for top spot. They've never held it, and here we are today. It makes perfect sense that we're talking under and over reactions. The New York Jets. Hold the AFC title as of t- today, the 13th, 20, September 2023, as they beat the Buffalo Bills 22-16. to 16. And I know that there's one guy on earth who can't wait to tell me all about it. It's Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, get it off your chest. How good does it feel? Oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers got hurt. The season's over. Kill me right now. Sorry, we're doing overreactions, right? <laughs> well, I was going to say, is this going to be a wedding crashers? Uh, not a wedding cra- a wedding singer moment? We were just out there singing your song. <laughs> Somebody kill me, please. When you said wedding crashers, I thought you were going to say, you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know. we've we've It's been discussed to death, the fact that the Buffalo Bills inexplicably against a Zach Wilson, almost from the gun, led Jets team, managed to blow what should have been a a game that had so many things going for them in their favor, except for the one that mattered the most. If we're talking from a Jets perspective, you guys are on top, and we're talking about overreactions and underreactions. How about this statement? The Jets' offensive season, okay, because we don't want to say season, all right, Robert Sala, the Jets' offensive season, as it was known, is over. Overreaction or underreaction? That's a tough one because, obviously, I think somebody, one of my listeners had a great line about this. They said, the people that are writing the Jets off right now are being ridiculous. The ceiling just got a lot, uh, a lot smaller. So you went from hey, this team could legitimately compete for a Super Bowl too. Hey, this team could legitimately make the playoffs. I think that's really where the conversation has gone. Uh, look, Brees Hall, as we saw on Monday night, is, I mean, it's remarkable how good he was this short of a time after that injury that he suffered. Dalvin Cook wasn't nearly as good, but he's a nice number two to Brees Hall's number one. 
Garrett Wilson, as we saw, is still one of the best young playmakers in football. And look, say what you want to do about Zach Wilson, and we'll talk about this. Is he Aaron Rodgers? No. And look, those coaching staff rightfully didn't trust him the way they would have trusted Rodgers. One example is at the very end of the game, they could have tried to put it away by getting a first down on a third and 12, but I think they correctly decided not to do that, forced the Bills to take a timeout instead. If Rodgers was the quarterback, they'd probably go for it. With Wilson, no. But I think if you're a Jets fan, we have to look at is the offense isn't going to be capable of what it what would have been if Rodgers was there. So to that end, yes, the, the season is over to the offense as you expected it to be. But as far as it potentially being productive, I think they could be good in the running game. And also, look, I, I people have been saying to me, you're talking to yourself into Zach Wilson. I'm not talking myself into Zach Wilson. All I'm saying is this. We've heard all offseason that Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers have done a lot with him. I've heard from people I trust that have been at these practices that Wilson shows a lot more confidence. He's shown it in some of these preseason games. And so really what this comes down to is if Zach Wilson can be, let's say, the 22nd best quarterback, which would be well below average for a starter, but at least acceptable, if he can do that, and kind of do what he did against the Bills, honestly, which is manage the game. And when he had to step up and make plays on that one drive, he did. If he can do that throughout the year, then this Jets offense may be able to do a few things. They're not, like I said, they're not going to be anything close to what they were going to be with Rodgers, but they may be more productive than people are going to give them credit for. So to answer your question, yes, but no, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It makes perfect sense. Uh, what doesn't make any sense, and it's one of my under-over reactions for you here, someone needs to hire Robert Sala, a goddamn speechwriter, because that guy <laughs> fumbles it. I get the point you're trying to make, but again, it's like the joke I, I made with you. He gives these dissertations at the podium as if they're written by a guy who, like, the by the person who wrote the 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 script for Fast and the Furious. Like, this is how tough <laughs> guys talk, and yet he uses the wrong. But like George W. Bush, he goes off off script and goes, "I know the word." People are trying to put an obituary on me. You don't put obituaries on people. You put tombstones <laughs> on graves. You bury a season. You write an obituary about something that died. Every time he gets out there, he says something that makes me cringe. Under overreaction, this guy needs a fucking speechwriter. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. Stella, I think, is a guy who clearly has the trust of the locker room. Clearly, they respond to his words. Sometimes he mixes his words. My dad is notorious for that as well. He'll say the wrong word or he'll use it in the wrong way. And you go, what are you even talking about? It doesn't make any sense. But look. You look at what happened in that game and whether he used the right phrases or he mixed up words or not. I told the, I said this on the podcast on Play Like a Jet. The reality is that team had every opportunity to quit many times. They could have easily quit after Aaron Rodgers was hurt. That was a logical point to quit, right? They could have quit after the first Wilson interception. They could have quit when the Bills went up 13 to 3 at the half. They could have quit when the Bills scored to tie it at the end to tie it at the end of regulation. But every time the Bills did something that you thought might have made this team quit, they didn't quit. They got stronger and they hung in there and they did what they needed to do. And Salah, love him or hate him, I think had a lot to do with that. Clearly, this team responds to him. Clearly, they respond to his words and his motivational tactics. And so, yeah, he might not be the smoothest. And yeah, as you said, 
Maybe he needs a speechwriter, but whatever it is he is saying is getting through. Strategery. Chris. <laughs> a new axis of evil. I'm just I'm 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 seeing that SNL skit playing in my head. If if we could get a football version of that, I think it's Robert Sala. But to your point, credit 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 where credit's due, man. He, he Chris, when you watch that injury happen and you see us go at 13-3, you're thinking, okay. You and half of the people in that Wisconsin bar are thinking driver's seat. All right, it's party time. Good for him for keeping the team's focus, keeping whatever he said at halftime worked, right? Nobody quit. That team came out and fought like hell in the second half. The Bills just continued to shoot themselves in the in the leg, and this was the outcome. That an inexplicable punt to a part of the field where they didn't have the right blocking, and you guys took advantage because everyone stayed hungry. And as a Bills fan, you can't be mad at that. It's hard for me to find things to take away from you guys. When you win a game with all of this stuff, you know, people talk about the, oh, the interceptions didn't do our team any favors. You're a, a quarterback who you wrangled for all offseason long gets hurt four plays into the fucking game. The, the Jets had all the excuses in the world to fall apart. Yep. The fact yep. that they won that game, I guess I do have to walk some of my criticisms of your coach back because at least he got that team to hang in there and pull out a W. Now, it is funny, break down the fourth wall, you and I were talking in the middle of the game and you were like, or I think it was afterwards, and you were like, hey, you know who didn't get hurt? And, they're get, and you just sent a picture of Derek Carr, who was the guy you were pounding the table for all offseason long. You're like, I would rather have Carr. He's going to cost me less. He will inevitably just get caught. I don't have to trade away any assets. You're right. like, I could just get him. And then and then Carr. So, so how much did it sting to watch Carr, th- for you personally, for, to watch Carr <laughs> throw 300 yards and watch what happened with Rodgers just unfold the way that it did? Yeah, it was it was frustrating. Listen. I obviously said that to you sort of as a joke because what do they say? I got to laugh to keep myself from crying. Yeah. Uh, although I will, I will say though, I had to be the most calm person in the stadium because I had everybody, including Chris, who's un, who is uncharacteristically uh, showed some human emotion. Chris texted me and said, Oh man, I'm so sorry, dude. So I was like, wow. You know, usually Chris is a block of ice. I appreciated that from him, but I, I got a lot of texts from a lot of people lot of dms and it was just funny because when it happened my reaction was just all right well let's go zach you know what else can you do and my thing was i guess there was a part of me because i've seen stuff like this from the jets for so long deep down i was expecting it and i'm numb to all these kinds of things so i i sent you the Derek carr thing kind of as a joke i i you know i like Carr a lot and obviously you know, I think if Carr, you know, putting the Rodgers thing aside, I think if they had gotten Carr instead of Rodgers, they could have been a contender with Carr. I certainly think they'd have been a contender with Rodgers, but it was a freak injury. So I was obviously just having a little fun trying to keep myself from going off the deep end. But I will say this. I, I said it at halftime when my brother called me. My brother, everybody that knows me knows he's a, a reasonably uh, um, well-known professional gambler. And he lives out in Vegas and he called me. He was freaking out. And I said, listen, it's 13-3 at the half. The Jets are getting the ball back to start the half. This thing is far from over. And there was a part of me that really did believe that they could come back in this game. And I'll tell you, when uh, Zach Wilson completed that pass to Alan Lazard as he was falling down, I looked over 
at at uh at my father who was at the game with and I said if the Jets come back and win this game that's the play you're going to look back at as the play that turned the tide and it was and I'll tell you too man that throw people focus on Garrett Wilson making that incredible catch in the end zone which he did and obviously it wasn't a great pass by Zach Wilson but what he did was he did what Garrett Wilson said to him. He said, Zach, just throw it up and I will do the rest. And that's just, what Garrett Wilson me. was true to his word. Trust but, me. I'm a dude. He goes, I'm a stud. Fuck yeah, you. Just give me the yep. ball, man. I will make yep. you look good. You don't have to be perfect. Give it to me. Yeah. And he did. And and to be fair, and people miss this, but earlier on the drive to get inside the 10, Wilson threw an absolute bullet to Garrett Wilson. And it was a phenomenal pass. One of the best passes I've seen him throw. And so Wilson leads this drive. Like I said, they were being very cautious with him. I know he threw the pick, but mostly it was just dink and dunk, hand the ball off. And I understand it. You don't – he came in under really terrible circumstances. And you got to give Zach Wilson credit. I think last year, if this had gone down where he throws the pick and all of that, he folds and he's done. He probably throws four more picks. The Jets have no chance, the whole deal. But he bounced back from it mentally, led that drive. And whatever you want to say, he stepped up when he needed to and, and led that touch, led to that touchdown. And I just remember when the touchdown happened, I'm sure you guys have seen the movie A League of Their Own when the little kid is Stillwell is yelling, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. And Tom Hanks is like, we're going to win, we're going to win. And he throws the glove and hits the kid in the head and he starts laughing. That was me. As soon as they scored the touchdown to tie it, I looked at my dad and I said, they're going to win. They're going to win. I felt it. I knew they were going to win at that point. And even when the Bills tied it, to end regulation, I was like, I have absolute confidence in this defense to stop the Bills from scoring in overtime, and they did. And then the Gibson thing—it's funny you mentioned how loud did the, the stadium? How loud did the stadium get when he crossed the threshold? Oh, dude, it was nuts. Well, first of all, I should say uh, to start the game, it was as loud as I've ever heard it at MetLife. Because remember, the Jets only moved into MetLife Stadium in 2010. It was definitely was louder than it was during that Giants game. Yeah, oh, it, it was loud as you could possibly imagine. And, so, well, the Giants game might have been loud with booze, but it was as loud as you could get. And when Rodgers got hurt, it was like the air came out of a balloon. But toward the end, things started to pick up, especially when they tied it. And then in the overtime, the, the crowd went nuts. But I will say, like, before the punt, I said to my dad, look, if Gibson can just get them out to about midfield or somewhere close – they'll be in good shape because all they'll have to do is go 20 yards. There's no wind. And Greg Zerline's got a big leg. They call him Greg the leg for a reason. He'll be in decent position for a field goal. And the punt went up, and I said, that's a terrible punt. He should be able to get good position. And at first, he runs over toward the right, and I'm like, no, don't do that. There's like three guys. But then he sort of wrangles around and heads to the left, and I look and I see nobody there. And I'm yelling, oh, my God, there's no one there. There's no one there. And he's just darting down the field, and I'm like, holy cow. Now, at this point, he gets to about the 20. I think he's going to get taken down because there's like three or four bills there. But once he cuts back and gets away from them, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to score. He's going to score. And when he scored, we everybody was looking for flags. We didn't see a flag, and everyone went out of their mind. It was the funniest thing. And I have to tell you this, and I'm not trying to rub it in because you know I don't yeah, do you that. Rub it in, bad. baby. You, no, you, no, you I don't, you know, I don't do this that. moment. Not, it's I, your day in the sun. Get it. I'm not one who does that, but I did think you guys would find it funny. So you and your listeners know this, but some a lot of the listeners of my show may not, and a lot of people that don't go to Bills games may not know this. 
But I know from having been to the game last year and from having been around Bills fans talking to you guys, there's that chant, hey, whoa, let's go, Buffalo, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're walking out of the stadium, there were a fair amount of Bills fans. And, of course, a bunch of Jets fans, many of them, I'm sure, intoxicated, started, hey, hey, fuck you, Buffalo. So That's... that was that was how the, the, uh, the night ended. But, yeah, it was something, man. It was one of those things where, man, it, look, it's possible that we look back at this later in the year, Drew, and say the Jets won the battle and lost the war because they won the game, but they lost Rodgers. And, and with losing Rodgers, they lost their opportunity, most likely, to compete for a Super Bowl. We'll see if Wilson can have them competing for a playoff spot. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility they could still make the playoffs with him, but whatever. We'll see what happens the rest of the season. But this was something, man. And if you were a fan, we talked about this before the game. If you were a fan of football, mm -hmm. I, I mean, how did you not enjoy this game? This was an incredible game. I mean, if you're a Bills fan, obviously, no, it's a heartbreak. It. But Listen, if, if you if you love the fan, game, that was one hell of a game. The yeah. Jets have a huge mountain to climb here in the coming weeks. If, yeah. if people, our listeners are obviously petty like me, where can they find all of the content as you guys try to climb these hurdles of the Chiefs and the Cowboys and the Eagles on route to your bye week. Where can they find all your content and where can they follow you on social media? Well, first, let me say, Drew, as we know, Zach Wilson, a rough rookie year last year, got benched twice. Very bad. They had to go out, get Aaron Rodgers. It looked like the plan was they were going to try and sit him behind Rodgers and they were going to have him learn and absorb. And then Rodgers would play two or three years and they would turn it back to Wilson, or at least that's the plan they were selling. Now that plan got accelerated and it reminds me a little bit of LA Knight. You knew I was going to go into the wrestling reference here. <laughs> LA Knight, real name, Sean Ricker. This is a guy I remember the first time I saw him was 10 years ago. I was watching NWA Hollywood and I'm watching this guy and I'm like, this guy has the look. He can talk. He can work in the ring. This guy's money. What's he doing in NWA Hollywood? Fast forward a little bit. I think about a year, WWE signs him to a developmental deal. Whatever happened there didn't work out. They end up releasing him. He winds up in Impact Wrestling, does okay there. Then he's in NWA again, goes all around the horn. Finally, a couple of years ago, I think around 2019, 2020, he re-signs at WWE as an afterthought. And then all of a sudden, over the past year, fans just took to him, and he built this momentum. And now he's on the cusp of becoming a legitimate top guy in WWE, and so if you're a Jets fan, you kind of got to hope that Zach Wilson goes full L.A. Knight. You want the redemption arc. And that's what we're, we'll obviously be talking about a lot over the next few weeks and hopefully in a positive way. You can find Play Like a Jet anywhere that you get podcasts, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all of that. Play At Play Like a Jet 1 on Twitter. We've got our store at T Public. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. Boys, as always, it's a pleasure. Really looking forward to doing this again next week. And I think things are going to be very interesting in the AFC East. They already were, but now there was an early season curveball, right, with the Josh Allen struggles early on. So now people are going to be talking about that. We'll see if he uses that as fuel. Tua just absolutely lighting it up and him and Tyreek Hill looking like a scary combo. Aaron Rodgers gone, so now it's Zach Wilson again. The Patriots hanging in there with the Eagles, losing but showing that their defense is the real deal. So 
this is still going to be a very interesting season in the AFC East, and I'm looking forward to coming on and talking about it weekly with you guys. Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Christian Simonelli, the fabulous three birds of the AFC East roundup that we have. Guess what? Drew's not here. We forgot to record this. I'm recording this day after recording. Got to get out of here. 4180 Abbott Road. That's where we're going to be on Sunday. Come by. Stop by the tailgate. Have a Montucky. I'll make you old-fashioned chicken wings, chicken dip, whatever we got off the grill. Come and get it. 4180 Abbott Road. And this has been your AFC East Roundup.